The Athletic. It's not about being this pretty shoddy looking Manchester United team. It's about playing the way a Tottenham team should play. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View From The Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host, Danny Kelly. Um, well, a sort of your host, Danny Kelly. Bit of a different look to things today, I'm afraid. Full disclosure, I'm recording this on Saturday morning, as when the game's going on, I'll be at a wedding in Gregna Manor in County Kilkenny, and then at the reception in Ballyhale, home of the Ballyhale Shamrocks, the best hurling team in this part of the world. So I won't get a chance to see the game or to be at it. So let's head over instead to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where Charlie Eccleshare is um, taking over temporary hosting duties as a chance for him to discover just how onerous it is. He's with Tim Spears and James Moore who have hopefully just witnessed Spurs comprehensively wipe the floor with Manchester United 5-0. Charlie. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, I'm outside the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Actually, specifically, I'm outside Sainsbury's car park. Um the salubrious surroundings thereof. I'm with James Moore and Tim Spears. Spurs just beaten Manchester United 2-0 in their first home game of the campaign. Uh, and a week ago, a lot of people close to Spurs were in mourning, not least Danny Kelly. Harry Kane had left and, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of uncertainty. But here we are and just an absolutely jubilant occasion. James, where are you compared to a week ago? I mean, did, did, you, did you have any cautious optimism? Um, yeah, I think I did. I mean, I, I think I said on our kind of belated season preview podcast that Spurs would do well this season and then they'd finish, uh, I think I said 4th or 5th. And I mean, I know obviously this result won't necessarily have a huge bearing on that yet. But I, I had a sense that things would trend upwards quite quickly. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the atmosphere and the performance in a minute. But I mean, that was one of the most enjoyable games I think I can remember here. At the, state, at the stadium. At yeah. the stadium, yeah. Um, and to be honest, I, I think it might have been the best atmosphere. I mean, I know, you, I think you tweeted about the North London derby last, oh, sorry, season before now. Um, but I, I think this is probably a bit louder than that, actually. Really? Yeah, I, I just remember in that game, the start was like deafening the first 10 minutes. Do you remember it was yeah, so maybe. loud? I guess, yeah, May, maybe. You expect that in a derby. But I think the yeah. consistency of noise in this game was, uh, I, I mean, uh, to be honest, not something you really get at Tottenham that often. Or at all, really? Mm. No, never heard it like He's that. Never heard it. Tim's never heard it in his in his year covering the club. But equally, like even before the match, I was quite struck by how positive and noisy it was. You know, you you, you think of mm. Harry Kane leaving just a few days ago, as you say, and that's testament to what Postecoglou's done in yeah. a very short space of time and with not much competitive football at all. You know, he's really changed. Uh, the atmosphere and the face of the club, and yeah, the noise. I mean, with the sort of the lap of honour at full time and. Postacoglu taking the acclaim it sort of had a feel of like a March or April game like yeah 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 so like, it was like, it was like, kind of like safety was secured if four games no, but no, it kind of felt like the, the running's coming up here and you know we've just beaten a big team and we can really achieve something very very yeah. soon here yeah. it was it was I don't know yeah j- j- joyous was the word I, I mean the, the Kane thing is weird because yeah obviously theoretically that should have been and it was a period of mourning in lots of ways but I do think it I mean it it's moved on so quickly. And, and and often what happens with this sort of thing, I guess like with a new manager bounce, is that it's only we'll only really know 
sort of what the team looks like in a few weeks, a few months. And look, I'm sure at that point we'll be saying Richardson can't score and we all miss Harry Kane. But it is incredible that you can have a game like that and, you know, no one's really thinking of, of Harry Kane. But do you want to, like, go right back to the start? And Tim, you obviously, you covered the team last season. I think anyone who covered Conte Spurs got used to team news would come out <laughs> it was a pretty underwhelming experience because you kind of knew what you were going to get obviously they got a good result last week and I think my hunch was that he'd probably keep the same team because there wasn't a massive reason to change it but we saw two changes Saar came in Pedro Porro came in what did you think when you saw the team news I was I was surprised actually particularly the Saar one um coming in for, for Skip whose whose legs were always going to be important in this game um and Porro yeah I, I think I said in the um predictions for the season I didn't think we'd see Poro and a doggy together too many times um, particularly not against Man United at home but I guess it was a bit of a statement in his team selection and yeah they did get away with it a little bit because after two minutes Poro tried to run yeah. the ball out of defence and uh, United then create their first chance and yeah there were a few sort of scary moments in that first half and I guess that's one thing that we're not going to mask over here is that yeah Spurs should have been behind at half time yeah. certainly and there were some um, I think I think Postacogli used the word nervy but I would say brainless, really. There were quite a few times where they would just run into United uh, attackers, and Porro was probably the one that was most guilty of that. And yet, by half-time, he could have ended up uh, scoring the first goal of the game by getting in one of these positions that he never would have done last season um, and hitting the post. I think that's such an interesting one, bringing in Saar for Skip, because Skip is a bit of a crutch for a manager. Like You know, he, as you say, he's got the legs. He's such a solid performer. To actually take that risk, I think, was quite instructive. What did you think, James, of those two coming in and how they did? Yeah, I mean, I, like Tim, I was surprised to see off the back of a performance where it kind of felt like they'd really clicked through the gears in comparison to last season at Brentford. Uh, to chuck on sort of effectively two more attacking players, really, um, it was not what I expected. Uh, yeah, and like Tim says, I, I, I probably would have expected it to be combinations of uh, a doggy and Royale or Davis and Porro. Mm. Um but yeah, I mean, to see uh, a Spurs team play with, I mean, you know, I know the word bravery kind of gets misused in football quite a lot. But to start, to kind of take, to try, at least try and take the game to Manchester United, and you know, you're right, it didn't work entirely smoothly in the first half. But I think that was probably a big part, uh, that was probably a big uh, contributing factor to that atmosphere. I think like the sense that they were going to go for it from the off. Yeah was kind of signalled in the team. Um, I, I, yeah, I, and like I say, I mean, I, you know, we used the word to suffer, or Conte used the word mm. to suffer. And, you know, Spurs, I think actually, I mean, you'll notice because I'm sure you're at the press on Friday, right? I, I think Postacogli talked about yeah. suffering, but I'm guessing his idea of suffering is like, we're going to try and play like this and sometimes it won't work and we're going to have to take that on the chin. And that will still happen, right? Against other teams who will approach the game differently, and it'll be more difficult for them to, you know, break a team down or, you know, on, on another day, <laughs> uh, you know, not going to get gifted on own goal. Um, you know, and there's a deflection on the cross for the first goal as well. So there's a little bit of fortune there too. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, this is a massive cliche, but if you go forward and attack and get the ball and bodies into the box, yeah, you massively increase your chances of scoring goals. And uh, to be honest might seem slightly odd but I just don't think a player like uh, a midfield player would have got into the box in the way that Saar did for that yeah. first goal I mean and I know Le Koyberg and Spencer both got a lot of goals last season or a decent number of goals last season but I don't think 
not many kind of attacking across in a six-yard mm. box. No, and he was doing that in the first half. I think he uh, he had the uh, three of Spurs' first four shots of the match. Obviously, he had that one that was deflected off the post. And, yeah, for a guy who hasn't scored in, in two years, you know, entrusted with the part of the goal-scoring mantle. Yeah. Um, I mean, Richarlison didn't have a shot, you know, but by comparison today. So that was a clear tactic of get, trying to little bit of get to the byline and, and those late runs into the box which worked really well what did you guys put it down to obviously James you were in the stands Tim you were next to me in the press box because yeah Postacoglu said he thought there was an edginess he said and this is where he's so interesting like he has such an emotional intelligence because he said he put it down to the fact that there were a few young players out there and he said he, he got the sense at half time that they were really trying to impress and make a good impression and that yeah there was an edginess there was a nervousness did, did you feel that I mean those were the players that he took off right you know Udogi and Saar both came off in the last sort of what 15 minutes of yeah. the game when it felt a little bit more like you know if Manchester United were ever going to uh, uh, kind of enjoy a spell of concerted pressure it was going to be then uh, I'm not really sure about nervousness I, I wonder whether the issue as much as anything is like the old habits that mm. players get into uh, and when you've spent, and I know not many of the players in that team have played for Tottenham for the entirety of the last four years, but when a team has played largely defensive football on the back foot, you know, getting bodies behind the ball as quickly as possible, you know, sitting deep and almost waiting to concede chances, especially when you're 1-0, 2-0 up, there is probably like an instinctive yearning to like sit, sit a little deeper, take fewer chances... You know, try and be way more conservative, and I wonder whether that may be more of a factor in kind of the way he was trying to change the game at the end. And I mean, look, I, I don't think we've necessarily always been hugely positive about Hoiberg, but at the point in the game where he came on, he, to me, he kind of felt like exactly what they needed, yeah, like a little, good. like like the legs, as we were saying about Skip before. Um, but also the fact that he, on his day, is willing to drive forward with the ball. You know, kind of did that a couple of times. And actually, I mean, to be honest, uh, without getting completely ahead of ourselves, that game, seeing the way they played, kind of changed how I feel about what they should do with Hoiberg. And actually, I think the way they used him today, you could see that being quite a regular thing, yeah. like coming on to like help see out a game when everyone else is knackered, because they are going to get knackered playing like that. And he's probably the kind of player who'll be like, you know, a cult hero if he's coming on and putting in tackles and closing out games. I think it's just the fact that he was so relied upon. Uh, I mean, I got someone asked me on Twitter, I think his name was Nick, uh, he said, can you imagine how great the midfield will be when Bentacore is healthy? I'd love to hear on The View from the Lane podcast your thoughts on the midfield depth when healthy. Madison, Bentacore, Basuma, Hoiberg, Skip and Saar has to be up there in terms of depth in the Premier League. I think there's, well, there's also a maturity aspect that Hoiberg brings, right? Which yeah. when you've got Basuma and Saar and Madison, it's not necessarily evident um, in terms of their experience. And yeah, it's all great when it's sort of, it's new and it's fresh and yeah. it's attack, attack, attack. But, you know, there's hard sort of long winter months. You'll need, you'll need the old heads in there. And um, just to add to James's point earlier, the, the habits will take a little bit of time to eradicate. You've got to remember, this is a team last year that was almost sort of told not to try and score in the first half of matches. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's, it's bizarre how, how quickly it's changed. But I think credit has, you've got to give credit to the players for embracing his ideas so readily and, and be willing to take those risks. And also the crowd have then got a part to play as well because, you know, they weren't getting on their backs when they were... Basuma passing the ball out of play or running down cul-de-sacs. So, um, yeah, just as to the general positive feel. As I walked from Seven Sisters to the ground and you just sort of pick up on 
the general atmosphere. And I was thinking, like, there is a difference going to a game. When it's Conte or Mourinho, you know that it's all on the result, basically. Like, you, you'll either leave happy because you've won or you'll leave sad because you've lost. But there is a slightly different feel when you're going to a game feeling like, well, whatever happens tonight, I'm reasonably confident we'll at least play decent football and I might get something out of it. Like, that is slightly diff a different feeling, I think, than just going being like, please, can we come out of this alive and maybe win this game? Like I say, I think that's a big part of the reason that uh, the fans were so up for the game from the get-go. Like, and, you know, people, I, I did not expect, uh, well, one, the fans to be singing Ange Postecoglou's name before kickoff at Brentford last weekend. And also, if he, I, I mean, without exaggeration, his name was sung for the entirety of that game. Yeah. Like, non-stop for the whole game. And I was in a concourse here after the game, like, kind of 15, 20, 25 minutes after full-time. And honestly, that was on a loop for another 15, 20 minutes after the game. That, I think, is a testament to the sense that the way this guy's going to get this team playing is going to be something that fans will actually be able to be invested in. And I don't think... Obviously, if you get a result, especially in a big game, that kind of is paramount, really. But I think it's hard to feel invested in a team that are playing such negative football. And you're not really going to get entertained. And, you know, if you're sitting in eight players in the penalty area, you know, fending off crosses or whatever, it's not really an enjoyable performance every week. Once or twice is fine. And I, I, honestly, I, I, it is incredible how quickly that has changed. Mm, and, really you know, like we say, let's not get ahead of ourselves because, yeah. you know, they'll probably lose to Sheffield United in two weeks' time here. Um, but uh, the very idea of this guy can come into the club and within uh, within those first two matches have like so clearly set it out and and, and it's the thing we said in pre-season it, it's, it's it's being able to see the idea even if it doesn't always work and like you say I, like you know there were one or two kind of grumbles when you know Romero over hit a pass to Van der Ven that went out of play and you know, like you say Basuma gave the ball away a couple of times but I think people generally appreciate what they're trying to do and that is quite it's quite clear you can see it even if it doesn't always work yeah yeah and for that to be so apparent after two games I think it's incredibly impressive yeah. and after all the things we said about pre-season how interrupted that was I mean it's incredible really Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you Introducing the Race F1 Briefing the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Just on the first half, obviously, yeah, we should. I think we have acknowledged, you know, that United could easily have been ahead. That um, uh, Fernandez header was, you know, a huge chance, and it did feel like the kind of game where, you know, the first goal was really important. Also, there were, can I just pick up on a really great moment in the first half when Anthony and Fernandez got booked within about ten seconds of each other. <laughs> I mean, that was just. Hopefully, we'll have scope for a little bit of talking about how bad United were in the second half. It was a little bit alarming, actually, how how. United was sort of cutting through with like diagonals over the top and like I 
was, I mean, we were both convinced that they should have had a penalty at one point as well. I'm not 100% sure on the on the ruling on that, and we've been trying to work that out before the game. James, doesn't, rules, James, doesn't, rules, James doesn't care, he's just shrugging, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, they, they, they needed half-time, they needed to be a little bit further up the field. Um, United, you could see they did the opposite to what they did against Wolves the other day, and sort of, and sort of packed the midfield and didn't allow Madison too much room in the final third, mm. so he was having to come a bit deeper to be more influential, which I thought he did very, very well. The amount of times he would carry the ball from sort of one side of the centre circle to the other and push into the opposition third. With his composure, the way that the ball sort of is glued to his feet um, and he can shrug off, you know, multiple challenges in one sort of run and really get Spurs 50 yards up the field very quickly. I mean, that midfield three, it couldn't be any different to last year, yeah, obviously probably. in terms of personnel, but also in terms of the the attributes that they that they bring. They're pretty much... I mean, it's 50% more footballer. Yeah, but they've pretty much got it all between the three of them. It's interesting. In our WhatsApp group, Danny has said, and I hope I'm not throwing him under the bus by saying this, that uh, that was Tottenham's strongest team by Ben Tanker. But actually, which of those three do you leave out to put Ben Tanker in the team? Well, hopefully they'll have different options for different games. But I did, you know, Saar coming off the bench, you know, him coming off yeah, the bench yeah, yeah. the last 20 minutes. Well, like we're saying about Hoiberg, right? I mean, yeah. you can track a player like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Saar was great today, but he's so young and so inexperienced. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, he'll struggle games, to keep those levels up, I'm there'll sure. There'll be games right. where. Uh, you, you need to like pick the lock in a different way, and like Sar is obviously a brilliant technical player. It was an amazing finish. It, I, I mean, genuinely, it was a really good finish. There might be games where, yeah, you need like, like a Celso even or yeah, Celso as well. In that list yeah. Of players, yeah. I mean, yeah, James, you noted on Twitter if only Basuma could have understood Conte's tactics. Yeah, I mean, I, well, imagine <laughs> if he, imagine if he had had the mental capacity to understand. That would have been great. I mean, it, it, that contrast—that's that probably is one of the biggest contrasts. Thinking of that midfield two, then being overrun week in week out. I mean, you think for Pat Saar, like he played in that Milan game away, just him and Skip. Yeah. yeah. The North on a derby, just him and Hoybier was his first league star. He barely played at all. He'd only made his debut a couple of weeks before. Like the guy, his ability to just—he feels like one of those guys who'll just keep, you know, the bar will keep being raised and he'll keep clearing it. It's cra- it's crazy how you can go from like looking at a squad and thinking, you know, p- painful rebuild. You know, this thing needs a complete like refresh. You know, there's loads of like senior players that need to be replaced, and obviously some of that is still true. But you look at the team now. There's sort of scope for this team to to start peaking in like two years. And I mean, you know, and again, without wanting to get ahead of ourselves, like if we're, we're talking about an upward curve rather than this being like the peak, then that's pretty encouraging. Yeah, and from one nil, obviously. Less on the Conte because they were rarely ahead. <laughs> we we kind of got used to them chasing games, but certainly under Mourinho, it became a recurring theme that go one a lot, sit back, and often get stung. And look, again, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Anthony hit the post basically just after Spurs had scored on another day. That's 1-1, and it's a different game. But I do think Spurs, did, they didn't retreat too much. They didn't feel like they were hanging on, really, at 1-0. No, they were still trying to play. Um, and you know, Son was one of the most, one of those ones who epitomised that. Yeah, didn't really see him play much last year. You know, um, he was fixated on getting on the end of through balls or making runs. But to see him play and yeah. interlink and interact and come inside, and 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 there's a bit of flair there. I didn't really see that at all last season. Whether that was due to the injury issues he had, or just the way that he was being told to play by Conte or maybe the fact that Kane wasn't there made a bit, a little bit yeah, of a difference maybe um, and he felt a little bit more freer and more willing to cut inside and actually yeah, try and play because I didn't really see that at all from him it was good year. to see him kind of mucking in towards the end as well like I, I'd kind of forgotten how good it was to see a player like 
kind of come deep, like pick up pick up a loose ball on the edge of their own box when there's so many opposition players forward, and turn with the ball and like start a counter attack. Despite Spurs being a counter attacking team over the last few years, I can't really think that they've really done it like that too often it's been like a kind of ball not back so nervously not back to like a centre back or a full back and then like it banged in behind yeah. rather than like you know taking the risk and again I'm sure they'll come undone with that at some point in the season taking the risk and trying to play like a more sort of controlled form of football because Son's performance was interesting I thought like it wasn't sort of explosive but he was one of the players that Postacoglu picked out afterwards he mentioned how Son and Madison as two of the more experienced players and obviously now captain and vice captain uh, really set the tone for the team which which I just thought was interesting because I don't think he was someone who necessarily stood out I think that was more the midfield no, yes. I think the midfield won, won them the game today I thought that was pretty obvious and in fact there, there were deficiencies with the front three I mean you mentioned Kulisevsky's poor first half Richarlison had a really yeah. poor game or didn't get involved in the game um, I mean he had no shots. I think he lost all five of his aerial duels. I mean, that, that probably is the area where they are still short, isn't it? Because also yeah, we yeah, talked about depth and, you know, we ha I think, James, we spoke about that last week with the Brentford game when, you know, if they were going to go on and win that game, you weren't looking at the bench and being like, oh, OK, there are tons of attacking options here. But it, but it was two subs, you know, just, uh, just sticking with that depth theme, it was two subs who combined for the goal that settled the game. Obviously, Perisic came on and they, they slightly rejigged things because Richardson came off, Son went through the middle. And I think Perisic is, he sort of played himself back. He was one who, yeah. who I fully expected. Everything I was being told was that he's, he was going to go this summer. And to be fair to him, he's been very professional and played his way back in. And he's, I think he's a, he's a better option coming on when you're winning a game, almost. Clearly, like, for his age, he's incredibly fit. Probably safe to say, and we did say this last season, like, playing twice a week for the first half of the season then going to the World Cup and then coming back yeah uh, you know when you're in first season at a new club in a new country all of that combined I don't think it's you know, conducive to playing brilliantly consistently and I think as well like with um, like with Hoybier it's just about having that different role you know like no one's got an issue I think with Perisic being a really versatile useful squad player I think yeah. the issue is when you're asking him to be the left wing back and be really yeah, dynamic. Yeah, first choice and play every single game twice. And, a week, right? Exactly, it's like, completely different. It, it, it's a huge ask, but yeah. So the the goal comes. I mean, I first thought it was a Ben Davis goal. I was really excited for him. Obviously, it was a bit of a shame because it was an a goal. But like what you were saying earlier, James, if you have a lot of shots, if you keep stressing the opposition, you are more likely to get well, someone yeah. do something stupid. If, like if your that. left back has gone on the underlap, yeah, and exactly, like got into the penalty area, yeah, and and then. Pretty comfortable from there on. I mean, Vicario made some really spectacular saves. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, he made one really, really good save that counted, and then two that I think that were offsides. Yeah, uh, was that Fernandez? Uh, yeah, pretty flawless today, really. Pretty, yeah, um, yeah. Look, look confident, look composed. Decent on the ball. I think at one point towards the end, he still had 100% uh, pass accuracy or something stupid. I hadn't given the ball I once. So um, yeah, you can't you can't fault him yeah, in, a, yeah. in a big game, big occasion, huge atmosphere. He's really kind of stood up. Another one who's you know pretty young relatively speaking for a keeper doesn't have a ton of top level experience and then the scenes at the end I mean it was I think that's where it, it really was such a kind of party atmosphere how, what, how was it in the south stand uh, it, uh, yeah it was uh, I mean I'm not looked at Twitter I'm sure the celebration police have been uh, yeah. properly getting stuck in for Keezy you know, is raging a right a now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah a team winning their second game of the season there, four points after two games uh, beating a fairly limited Manchester United side. Just not matter, entirely convincing. It's irrelevant. That isn't the point. It's, it's not the point. 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 It's not the point.
this is what a Tottenham team should be like. And I know every club says we should play like this. But, I mean, actually, generally, they have done that uh, at Spurs. Historically, been very rare that they've played negative football uh, and got anywhere with it. As I guess you're trying to say the fans have got something to believe in again, right? And that's, yeah. that's, that's more important than, you know, results. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it's being able to see what they're trying to do and having belief that if they can execute it as well as they have done in these first two games, and again, we're not saying that's faultless, uh, that over the course of six months, like by the end of the season, by the run-in, like you'd have faith that they'd be able to win games pretty consistently. And I know I mentioned this a lot over the summer, but not playing twice a week, yeah. not being in that's Europe, huge. I think this season could be uh, an incredibly useful thing. Because uh, uh, watching that towards the end... You know, if, you know, when Saar and Udogi and a couple of the others came off, you think they're going to be absolutely shattered. It's so good to not have a game yeah, yeah, again yeah. before next weekend. No, I think it's a, I think it's a huge advantage. And I and I tweeted, I United remind me a bit of Spur of Conte Spurs this time a year ago, where they'll prob they feel like they'll yeah they've got enough good players they might win enough games to sort of come third or maybe fourth, but they don't they yeah. very rarely string it together for any length of time. Like I I don't know I I, I feel. And obviously, it's recency bias, and we're you know you can easily just get hung up on one game. But I feel like Spurs, it feels far more you can see the direction of travel. I still feel United. I'm a little bit unsure about yeah, what this team is. Yeah, you're right. They're, they kind of seem to put five or six good results and performances together, and then uh, four or five like quite bad ones. And yeah, they've started the season uh, in terms of performances really bad. Yeah. They were terrible. I thought in that second. And, I mean, you know, this isn't a Manchester United podcast, and we shouldn't be too fussed about that. But actually. You know, over the course of the next 36 games, maybe that will become useful for Spurs. A better team would have punished them today and United should have been out at half-time. But as James just sort of summed up, you know, really well a couple of minutes ago, that's not really the point right now, is it? You know, yeah. the, the, the supporters have been suffering for quite a few years now and to have something that's really great to watch and something that's great to believe in, despite the fact that their record goal scorer left, what, six days ago. It's quite remarkable, really. So it's, I, it's, I think it's a good they, day. They could have played like that, exactly the same, drawn the game 2-2, and unless the two goals would come right at the end, the two Manchester United goals would come right at the end and they'd blown a two-goal lead, I think you would have got exactly the same atmosphere and exactly the same kind of mm. uh, kind of outpouring of like uh, emotion and praise for the team at the end of the game. Like it's not it's not about beating this pretty shoddy-looking Manchester United team. It's about playing the way a Tottenham team should play. That's it from us, <laughs> from Sainsbury's. <laughs> Uh, so thank you very much and yeah remember to sign up to The Athletic for more in-depth Spurs coverage go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to find the latest subscription offer The Athletic